You're listening to Kevin Stock Radio. All right, welcome to the first episode of what is going to be Kevin Stock Radio. Uh, I just decided to do this literally a couple days ago, so this may be a rough first episode, but I do have a couple things here that I hope you'll find interesting, maybe informative, uh, and it's two of the d- most difficult decision types that I think we all face in life, uh, and so it has to do with sunk cost and kind of the opposite of sunk cost, so that's kind of the topic I'm going to dive into today. Uh, and so kind of the structuring of this, I think this is going to be a little mini season to get started. And so what I mean by that is the first several episodes might just be me, uh, until I'm able to convince some people to join me, uh, that are much more interesting and knowledgeable than myself. Uh, but to get started, I I think the first few episodes in the mini season is going to be just me, uh, and then we'll take off from there. So this episode is going to be sponsored by Ned, Uh, and I'll tell you more about Ned as the episode gets on, Uh, but let's dive in. So I think a good place to start is a question that I get asked all the time, and it's, why don't you practice dentistry? So I'm a dentist. Uh, I graduated in 2013, and I haven't done dentistry in the last year uh, in any capacity, Uh, But I haven't done general dentistry since I graduated. So let me explain. And it comes around to these these two decision uh, frameworks that I want to talk about today. So I guess it makes the most sense to start back in high school. So if we think about what high school trains us to do today, uh, I was very privileged to go to an amazing high school uh, called St. Louis Priory. probably one of the premier educations you can get anywhere in the world. However, as a student, my my objective was pretty simple. It was to get the best grades I could get, you know, while having fun with friends, playing sports, things like that. Uh, I didn't for one second really think about, oh, what do I want to do with my life? Or when I graduate, uh, you know, what am I going to major in in college? Because College was an assumed. Uh, it wasn't, are you going to go to college? Maybe. Uh, no, you, everyone from Priory goes to college. It's an assumed thing. Uh, and I have more, I could talk more on that if it should be an assumed thing. Uh, but anyhow, so I got through high school and I did fine. I uh, graduated, I think, with magna cum laude. Uh, then I went on to college and I got to college. And this is a time in our lives when we're supposed to think, you know, decide what we want to do with the rest of our lives. And I had no clue. Uh, My interest mainly lied in health and fitness at that time. Uh, And so I thought, well, maybe that has to do with like pre-med or something in the medical field. Uh, So, you know, I asked around people are like, well, if you want to go to medical school, you know, a chemistry major is a good idea, maybe biology. So, uh, I didn't like chemistry, uh, but I studied chemistry. So I was a chemistry major. I did minors in biology and business. Uh, and so I went through college basically with my head down, you know, back to, hey, let's get good grades. Let's, uh, 
you know, have some fun and, you know, we'll, we'll deal with the rest as it comes. Uh, and so sometime during uh, undergraduate, I decided to, I decided I was going to go to dental school. Uh, I was advised against medical school for a number of reasons. I think a lot of it had to do with uh, how insurance, uh, the state of insurance at that time, still today. Uh, but so anyways, I went, I went, I uh, decided on dental school, uh, finished up my chemistry degree and minors, and I graduated summa cum laude. And then at, let's see, 21 years old or something like that, I'm in dental school. I have four years of education in you know, areas that I'm not super interested in. Uh, they were fine. You know, I, I was a decent student. I didn't mind studying the sciences. And I actually would apply everything that I learned in chemistry and biology uh, to basically health and fitness, to, to working out and nutrition. Uh, but anyways, I found myself in dental school with, you know, all this education, this great high school education, very good undergraduate education, uh, and, and into a you know what's considered a top dental school at UMKC, UMKC School of Dentistry, uh, which is not cheap. And then during the first year of dental school, I'm like, this is this is not for me. Uh, and I don't know when that realization hit, uh, but I just couldn't see myself drilling and filling the rest of my life. Uh, I th- I think dentists and I know dentists they do a great service uh, for people. They make a great uh, income. They have very, very good work-life ve- work-life balance. For example, they could, uh, you know, work just thirty hours a week and make a great living. Uh, and and so all of these things, I think, factored into my decision in deciding to go to dental school. Oh, you get to help people. It's in kind of this health field which I'm interested in. Make a good income. Don't have to work all that much. Uh, but then it hit me in that first year of dental school is like, that's probably the worst way to decide what you want to do the rest of your life, uh, by thinking, hey, what's going to make me good money that I could do the least amount instead of thinking, Hey, what would I love to do every single day? What kind of impact would I want to have in the world? Uh, so this hit me sometime that first year, uh, in dental school and, it, it, was a, it was a tough time because I've already had, I have all these years of education. I'm already in debt, you know, more than I would care to even think about. I have four years of dental school ahead of me and I don't really have a plan of what I would do if I just dropped out of dental school. So I continued on. I'm not one to start something and then quit something uh, ever. Uh, I guess that's probably a, one of the blessings and curses that I face. Is like if I say some, I'm going to do something, I, I commit and I go through with it. Uh, but anyway, so how does this come around to decision making? Uh, so, what one of the things I just described is one of the you know biggest sunk costs that you can think of. I spent 26 years uh, getting to a point where I got you know very educated, spent a lot of money accumulated a lot of debt uh, and then you find yourself at a place where that's not necessarily what you want to do the rest of your life uh, and so to do something else is you know that that's considered a sunk cost uh, and so there's some sunk costs that hey I invested a thousand dollars in this thing let's let's move on to something else you know that's a sunk cost uh, but this is like your my life 
to that point was a sunk cost. And so if I decided to do something different, that's basically saying the last you know, 26 years have been almost a waste. So it's a very difficult decision. Uh, however, most people would would rather not deal with a sunk cost. They will say, I spent all this time, all this money, all this hard work to get here. I'm just going to stick, keep on keeping on and, and go with it and live, basically live a life that uh, they are not totally fulfilled with. Uh, and so, and this just reminds me of, of a quote that I heard, I think it's from Tim Ferriss, uh, where he says, don't let bad decisions of the past dictate good, good decisions of the future. And so many people, uh, it's actually estimated that 77% of dentists would uh, prefer a different career, a career change, are unhappy with dentistry. Uh, I could tell you, you know, in dental school, many of my peers felt the same way as I did. Uh, I, I guess I was a little bit more vocal about it, like, saying what a mistake I made. <laughs> but nonetheless, this first cost is is a sunk cost. And it's it's sunk costs are tough, uh, especially if it gets us in a position where we've spent so much time, so much money, and to do something different, uh, you know, is is very painful. So sunk cost is is a concept to understand because it's the framework of not letting Decisions made in the past with incomplete information uh, dictate good decisions of the future where you have more information. Uh, and often what we do is instead of you know bearing the sunk cost, what we tend to do is just go with it and for you know forget the sunk cost and just ride with it. Uh, and so what that actually does is trap us. And so that traps us in a in a in a place where we may not be most happy, most fulfilled. And so I see this happening all over the place, but one place in particular uh, is with college, college education. So college has exploded in cost. Uh, it's basically outpaced inflation and every other, everything else exponentially. And so kids are getting to a place just like I did. They're going to college. They have no idea what they want to do. They choose something because you have to choose something. You're spending 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 thousand dollars a year to get this education. Like you have to, you have to pick a direction. Uh, and then at the end of four years, you know, tens of maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. You now are in a place where you have this degree, this piece of paper that says you're educated, uh, but it may very well have you in a place that you don't want to be. Uh, and then a switching cost is extremely expensive at that point. And then further, this piece of paper in college is worth less and less and less. Uh, it's an assumed thing that you have to have, uh, and you're not really that qualified to do anything. I could tell you, like, I graduated summa cum laude with a degree in chemistry, minors in biology and business. I felt qualified to do absolutely nothing at that point. So... Uh, understanding sunk cost is one of, I think, the most pivotal things people can do in life uh, in order to make decisions today that are very difficult to make, but not letting past decisions dictate future good decisions, uh, where you have more information. Uh, because decisions in the now, decisions in the past, uh, are made with incomplete information that will always be making decisions with incomplete information. Uh, but we have to have the flexibility and the intestinal fortitude 
to be able to continue to make new decisions in light of new information. So what I found myself at 26 was, you know, I'm in a place where I've spent my life getting this education. I have a lot of debt, but I know this isn't what I want to do. Uh, and so during uh, dental school, I actually started a company called Muscle Science where I was doing online training. I created a couple programs uh, for people, health and fitness programs for building muscle, for losing fat. Uh, and so I enjoyed that, but I don't. I didn't think that was my ultimate calling. I love health and fitness. I still do today. So, so for more than 20 years, I've been working out and I've been on every imaginable strange diet you can think of and i'll talk much more about some of these strange diets in later episodes uh but i found myself at here at 26 and you know i got a whole lot of debt and a whole lot of no clue of what i want to do so i was lucky to uh which lead into the next decision making framework framework which i'll get into here through uh what did i what i decided to do after dental school so it, it, in dental school, they don't really teach you much about sleep apnea. Uh, however, dentists with special advanced training can treat something known as obstructive sleep apnea. And obstructive sleep apnea is basically a condition where your the airway narrows at night uh, and you have difficulty getting air into the lungs. Your blood oxygen decreases. It's associated with snoring and it's associated with a host of comorbidities like things like diabetes, uh, heart disease, etc. So sleep apnea is actually a pretty serious medical condition, uh, and dentists have a very novel way of treating it. Uh, and very few dentists actually do this. And so this piqued my interest. So I dove in and got some advanced training uh, with treating sleep apnea. Uh, and like I said, it, it, it's a cool thing that dentists can do, and it's actually quite profitable uh, and so I dove in with two feet, uh, like I tend to do. And I opened up a private practice right out of dental school, uh, where all I did was treat obstructive sleep apnea. And so sleep apnea is traditionally uh, treated with what's known as CPAP or continuous positive airway pressure. Uh, so it's basically this mask that you wear on your face that pumps air through your nasal cavity to as a pneumatic and air splint to keep the airway open at night. Uh, and it's amazingly successful at treating sleep apnea. It works very, very well. However, over 50% of people that are prescribed uh, a CPAP machine, they can't wear it. They can't, they, they can't tolerate it. Uh, and so dentists treat sleep apnea with oral devices. So the, basically the way it works, and I'll keep this very high level because you're probably not all that interested in treating sleep apnea, uh, but the, these oral devices are custom fit. They hold the jaw in a position that opens up the airway uh, so they can breathe at night. And people find it far more comfortable and tolerable. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I, I learned all I could about this and I dove in, started a private practice and started treating sleep apnea. Uh, so, uh, and also sleep apnea is strongly correlated with snoring. And so that that's that's relevant here in a little bit. What I was what I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Ned, who's sponsoring this show uh, today. So I started this private practice. Man, it's very much bootstrapping. So I didn't take out any more loans or anything like that. I basically was in a corporate <laughs> I was in a corporate 
area, I was told by when I got my occupancy permit, it was the first medical office that they'd ever had in Earth City, which is where my practice was. Uh, anyways, it was very cheap. <laughs> and so the price was right. And so I started there. Was, I didn't even have a sign on on the on my building or anything like that. So just to give you an experience of what someone, what my initial patients experienced, they would find me on the internet because I was marketing through Facebook ads and blogging. Uh, so they'd find me on the internet and they would call me and they would talk to me, the dentist on the phone, and I would give them directions, tell them a little bit about the spiel, whatnot. They would come into the office, which would be a business park. Not a, so, and they would pull up to the building. There'd be no signage. They'd walk in the front door, uh, and they would come over to the right, which was where where my suite was. Uh, and then I would greet them at the door. I did their, you know, diagnosis. You know, we talked. I would do all the treatment, uh, and then I would let them go. I coordinated all their appointments, and basically. This is an experience unlike any medical experience you'll ever have. Usually you see the doctor for like two minutes. You see all these other people who are doing all the coordinating. But I was a one-man band, uh, and that's how I got started. Uh, so anyways, that first year of treating sleep apnea, uh, I made basically every mistake that one could make when diving into an area. Uh, but I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about medical insurance. I learned a lot about sleep apnea. I learned a lot about treating patients. And I learned a lot about business. Uh, and marketing, and so basically it was a, a very good experience. Uh, then year two, I kind of scaled up, uh, meaning I saw I treated a lot more patients. Uh, I had sleep physicians that were now referring me patients. Uh, I was still a one-man band, but I was, you know, it's kind of like my hair was on fire constantly. So I was growing very fast, doing probably as many oral devices as any as anyone in my area for sure uh and you know there's a few people in the country that were probably doing more than me but you know not all that many i was doing a lot of sleep apnea treatment uh and then during this year too i started to find out about some of the problems of of oral device oral device therapy uh that that dentist uh that dentists can do uh and so you know i am i think at the heart of things a problem solver and so I started looking for solutions. And some of the problems were, just to give you a high-level overview, is oral devices, they protrude the mandible, the jaw, slightly forward, uh, which increases the diameter of the airway or splints that airway at a bigger you know, cross-sectional area. Uh, but when you move the jaw forward, some people start experiencing some pain in the jaw. And typically what's recommended is you just keep moving the jaw forward to get better and better results so people that were getting you know less than desired results we'd move them forward but i found that you know the further you move someone forward you get benefits up to a degree and then you keep moving them forward benefits go down side effects go up and i was like there's got to be something that i can do where i put people in a comfortable initial position and then if they need more benefit i can just add something and so this is where I got the idea for the NED device, which is basically an intranasal device uh, that would be used in combination with these oral devices to help improve the efficacy, the effectiveness of, of oral appliance therapy. Because the last thing I wanted was a patient to come in because they hated their CPAP, they couldn't wear it. Uh, then I treat them with an oral device and they're in pain or it's not working as good. And so what my goal was, I wanted people to love the treatment, be comfortable, sleep at night comfortably, uh, and 
also get great results. I didn't want the results that I got with an oral appliance to be less than the results that they could get with a CPAP machine. And these two things were not are, de- are not happening with oral appliance therapy. Results tend to be not necessarily as uh, consistent or good as CPAP, and people still would have side effects and issues. So my mission was to fix that, and so I came up with this idea for this intranasal device. I call it the NED device. Uh, and I started developing it <laughs> and all the money that was coming in from the practice that second year went straight to uh, product development of this new nasal device. Uh, and so then in year three of sleep apnea treatment, I scaled down. And so what I mean was I started seeing patients just one day a week and many times just a half day a week. Uh, and so that, and I spent a lot of time working on this nasal device as well as this other side project credit, which I can get to, which I'll tell you a little bit about, uh, today, but more in later episode. Uh, so I had some side projects as well as a book I was writing called your drum. I get, we'll talk about that in another side episode as well. Uh, but basically all my revenue, all my, everything I lived on was coming in through my dental practice. Uh, and all the money I made through that was going into the nasal device and a little bit into these side, other side projects, but mainly the nasal device. Uh, and so here I am, I'm lit during the year three, I have a very, you know, you know, a wonderful practice going. Uh, and I mean, if, to be able to work a half a day a week and have six figures of revenue coming in every year or throughout the year, like that's a dream job. And then just have side projects that, that like, that's literally a dream life. Uh, and so the reason I bring this up is sometimes we get to a point where someone looking from the outside in will say, man, that is a dream life. That is what I want. I want that time freedom, that money freedom, uh, to be able to do whatever you want. You know, I was, you know, I had great friends and relationships in the area. Uh, and so I bring this up to as a point where everything from the outside looking in looked, you know, perfect. Uh, you know, everything from money to career to, you know, these side projects. Uh, but then I met, I was met at a crossroad uh, because one of the side projects, Credit, which is the education, uh, which is education software. And I, I want to talk more about this in a later episode. Uh, but just to kind of give a, you know, a 2000 foot overview is I wanted to solve the problem that I faced when I was going through high school and college. I didn't, I want high school students to not leave high school clueless as to what they want to do. I don't want them to go pile themselves in debt at a university, get out at the other end, feeling trapped where they have to continue in a career that they don't enjoy. Or I don't want them to have to make the sunk cost decision that I made where, okay, I'm going to do something different. I would basically, so credit, it was an educational software that was going to help people not have to deal with these two hard decisions. Uh, And so I was working on that with a friend as a side project. And it came, I came to a point where that side project got uh, basically, I'll call it accepted into an incubator in San Francisco. I applied to this incubator in San Francisco. Uh, we got in and this was going to be very, you know, it was gonna, I had to, I was going to have to leave everything I had behind if I wanted to go all in on this. Uh, 
and like that that project was like it was calling me at that time and so the next most difficult decision i think that sometimes people have to face is when we are at a point in our lives where everything is great we are very comfortable where we are uh but something bigger is calling and to give up the great to go for something even better or to go for something that may not be better from the outside but something that's really calling you uh and so <laughs> Uh, because I was so passionate about this education, uh, I gave up a practice that was basically, you know, uh, you know, a ideal lifestyle business. I was helping people. I was making good money and I had a lot of time freedom, uh, where I got to, you know, work on other projects. But then one of those projects turned into the project. And so this, I think the second, you know, really tough decision people have to make sometimes is giving up the comfortable good life for something that is more meaningful it may not be the money it may not give you the time it actually in this case it did the exact opposite it took all the money it took all the time uh and and sometimes that that's that's what makes the most sense from the inside from the outside people looking in that makes absolutely no sense at all uh but i, I feel like if you if you kill that, I call it a fire, you feel that fire. And if you put that fire out and you keep ignoring it, uh, I feel like that's a tragedy. And, but that's a hard, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard fire to follow when you have to give up something so great. So that's why I think sometimes when people are in unfortunate circumstances, and they know their circumstances are terrible, whether it be they're they're not making any money, they truly hate their job, things like that. Sometimes you gotta see the silver lining in that and be like, hey, that's a benefit. Like I can leave this life. It's not that good. I'll go try something else. I'll go do take a risk. Uh, but sometimes when we get in a comfortable place, uh, that's a good place, and to give that up, man, that's tough. And so those are two decisions that. I think occur in everyone's life dealing with sunk cost uh, and dealing with cost of moving on from something good to something better uh, that I've experienced. And so uh, I wanted to just share kind of those stories. I, the way I dealt with them is uh, kind of a, a life motto that I've lived by is what is the point of tiptoeing to the grave? I wrote a recent blog post on this Uh and I have a memo that's sent to me uh, once a week, and it's just an email that says, uh, on my tombstone, it's going to say, did not try and get here safely. Because I think if you want to do something so impractical, such as giving up a great life for something that seems horribly risky, it's going to take all your time, all your money, it's going to be stressful, it's going to be, from the outside looking in, worse in every single way. In order to make an impractical decision like that, you need some kind of practicality, some kind of rationality to justify it. Or at least for, I, I needed something to justify to myself to say it's okay to go take this risk. Uh, and so one of the ways I look at it is, hey, if you think about it from a practical standpoint, look, we are gonna all going to die. What's the point in trying to play it safe? What's the point in trying to get to the grave as safely as possible? Why not just go for it and do it? Uh, and so that's a decision-making framework that I have used both to get through sunk cost uh, as well as to move on to 
you know, what could be bigger and better things. Uh, so the story of credit <laughs> where I went even more in debt, basically putting everything I have into that, giving up my private practice. Uh, I did not give up the Ned device. I continued to work on that with two partners remotely, but we'll, we'll get more. I'll get more into these in later episodes. Uh, but the Ned device, uh, who's sponsoring this episode is, it's funny to say it's Ned is sponsoring this episode because the Ned device is the name of the company. Uh, I have two partners in that company currently, and it is, we're, we're currently in the beta testing stages, uh, and it's, and it's used for snoring. Uh, eventually down the road, I hope that it will be used for sleep apnea, but because it has been self-funded. <laughs> uh, going through the FDA and the medical route has been cost prohibitive. Luckily, uh, we're going to use this uh, to treat snoring, and we're getting great results with the beta testing. Still doing some design modifications, uh, but if you are a snorer and you have interest in testing out the nasal device, uh, you can visit ned, N-E-D dot rest, R-E-S-T, that's the dom- domain, ned dot rest. Uh, and you could sign up to be a beta tester. Depending on when, you lo- when you're when you listening to this, the beta test may well be over, uh, but we'd love to have you test it out regardless. Uh, if you're a snorer or someone you know is a snorer, because uh, it's actually you know, it was one of the most shocking things that I discovered treating people's snoring and sleep apnea in private practice was, how many people do not sleep with their significant other uh, just because of snoring? Like the snoring keeps them up. Uh, so, you know, if, if you or someone you know uh, is a snore, this is a, just a very simple intranasal device, comfortable, uh, and it's not like a CPAP machine where some mask is pumping air through your nasal cavity. Actually, you use your own breathing to treat uh, the airway. Uh, and it works. Uh, I won't get into the technology how it works now, but but it's a pretty uh, pretty pretty slick little device. Uh, so that's it for episode one. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, episode two in this mini season is going to be coming soon. I think I'm going to talk more about Credit and what taking that leap of faith. Uh, what what actually happened there? Uh, so it'll be a tough lesson in failure. Uh, so stay tuned to that or go ahead and jump into that episode if it's already ready. But again, thank you so much for listening. Look forward to talking with you in the next episode. Talk to you later. Bye. Keep the radio going. Dr. Kevin Stock has more coming your way. For exclusive content, visit www.kevinstock.io.